Well, today we're going to continue on in our journey through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, for the past several weeks, we've been following David as he has attempted to escape the grasp of King Saul. Now, even though David has been nothing but loyal to Saul all along, uh, Saul has become insane with jealousy uh, towards David and is, is sure that David is conspiring against him. In fact, Saul has become so fearful of David that it seems that there's nothing that he won't do to try to capture and kill David. In fact, uh, just in the, the last part that we read, Saul has just executed 85 priests and their families uh, because the priest Ahimelech um, was earlier helping David, giving him some supplies for his journey. Now, of course, Ahimelech didn't even know that David was running away from Saul, uh, but Saul accused Ahimelech of conspiring with David, and he ordered that he be put to death. Uh, Ahimelech and all of his relatives were then put to death by Saul's henchman, Doeg, um, and only one member of his family escaped. Uh, that's Abathar, uh, his son. He escaped and he found refuge with David. Now, of course, Abathar wasn't the only person who found refuge with David at this time. Uh, you'll remember that when David was hiding at the cave of Adullam, uh, a whole group of people came and, and gathered to David there. Uh, these men were described as being in trouble or in debt or bitter of soul. But they all found compassion and refuge with David uh, until David was the captain of about 400 men. Now, about that time, the prophet Gad brought some instructions to David uh, from the Lord and that the, the Lord wanted him to return to Judah. And so being obedient to the Lord, uh, David and his 400 men, they, they returned to Judah and we find them uh, hiding out now in the forest of Hereth. And that's kind of where we left David last time. Saul's still on the hunt for David, uh, and David is hiding in this forest of Hereth with his 400 men. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this ever before or not, probably not, but as, as soon as I started reading about David hiding out with his men in the forest of Hereth, I immediately begin to think about Robin Hood, all right? Now, I don't know if you're with me on this one or not, but, you know, if, if you change the names of the story, the plot is strikingly similar, right? Instead of Robin Hood and his merry men hiding in the Sherwood Forest, we've got David and his band of 400 men hiding out in the forest of Hereth. Instead of uh, Prince John and, and the, the uh, what's that sheriff? The sheriff of Nottingham. You know, instead of, instead of them hunting for Robin Hood, we've got King Saul and his henchman Doeg hunting after David. Um, we could even find similarities between Robin Hood's loyal friend, Little John, and David's loyal friend, Jonathan, right? The only thing we haven't seen yet is David stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. But then again, in today's passage, we're going to see David coming to the rescue of a town in need, even while being on the run himself. So maybe there's some similarities there after all. But before we get into all that, let's pause here and just pray and ask God to teach us something from his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for every person that's come and gathered in this building to not only share uh, communion with you uh, as we look at your word and we spend some time worshiping you, but even have some communion with each other as we fellowship and even enjoy a meal together later. God, we, we uh, thank you for this opportunity. We pray that as we look at your word right now, uh, that you would again speak your truth to us. May your Holy Spirit uh, reveal those things that we need to know so that we can have guidance like the, the GPS that uh, Mike talked about so that we can know what we need to do, uh, that we can be reminded of, of your character and your great love for us so that we can uh, go forth into this week uh, again. So uh, be with us and teach us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our passage today begins with David receiving some bad news uh, from a nearby town of Keilah. 
Uh, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1, one day news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah stealing grain from the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Keilah, the Lord told him. Uh, it's a pretty simple and, and straightforward beginning to this story, but it does strike me as being just a little bit odd. Uh, now, the first part, of course, makes sense. The, the part about the, the Philistines stealing grain from the, the town of Keilah. Keilah was a, a fortified town in Judah, but very near the border of the Philistines. It was actually just south of the cave of Adullam, where David was hiding earlier. Um, and, and so it certainly makes sense that the Philistines would send their little raiding parties over the border uh, to steal grain. That part makes perfect sense. Now, the part that seems a little bit odd is that David would even think about coming to their rescue. Now, don't forget, David is being hunted by King Saul as we speak, right? He's not really in a position to rescue anyone, right? If anybody should be rescued, it should probably be David, right? He's the one who needs rescuing. But here he is asking the Lord if he should go and attack the Philistines to save this town of Keilah. Now, of course, at one time, this was right up David's alley, right? He was, he was once the, the, the most successful commander in all of Saul's army, right? Uh, he had won tremendous victories over the Philistines uh, in the past but he no longer commands the armies of Israel, does he, right? All he's got right now is this, this ragtag group of about 400 people that only came to him because they were in trouble or in debt or in some other way bitter of soul. You know, not exactly the elite troops of Israel that David once led into battle. So what is David thinking here? Well, we're not told what David was thinking. We're just told what he was doing. And what he was doing was exactly what Saul should have been doing. Uh, as the king of Israel, Saul should have been coming to the rescue of this Israelite uh, town. This was kind of, you know, his, his number one responsibility as king to, to protect and to rescue his people. Um, but what was he doing? Well, he was busy, you know, chasing after David, uh, trying to protect himself from a threat that wasn't even really a threat. The fact is, David was acting more like the king than Saul was, uh, even though he didn't have, you know, the, the elite troops of Israel at his command, didn't have all the resources of the king, but he took the responsibility upon himself to, to come to the rescue of this uh, Israelite town. He felt that if he could do something to rescue them, well, then he should do something. And, and by the way, that's a principle that I think we should all live by. That is, that if we have the opportunity and we have the means to do some good to someone, then we really have the responsibility to take action and to do that good thing. Uh, I think, you know, when we know that we can help someone, when we can encourage someone, when we can bless somebody in some way, you know, I would certainly argue that as, as soon as we are aware of that opportunity, it actually becomes our moral responsibility to act on that and to do that good thing. Uh, after all, doing good things for others is really one way that we reflect the character of God. And I think that's certainly a principle backed up by scripture. Uh, Galatians 6, 9 tells us, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith, right? Whenever we have an opportunity to do good, we should do that good. Now, of course, we can't do every good that ever crosses our mind, right? I'm sure we would all love to, you know, feed every hungry person. We'd love to sponsor every refugee family in trouble, bring them to Canada. Uh, we'd love to even just help all the, the hurting and the needy people right here in our town. But of course, we're, we're limited people with limited resources. We, we just can't do every good thing. But that certainly doesn't mean that we should do nothing. 
The principle here is that if we have the ability, we have the resources to do good to someone, then we're to reflect the character of God and to do that good thing. Uh, James 4.17 takes it even a step further. He says, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Did you catch that in there? It is a sin, James says, not to do the good things that you know you ought to do. Uh, my daughter, Allison, didn't even know I was talking about this this weekend. She comes up to me and she says, do you know why I do the dishes so often? It's because of that verse, referring to this verse that we just read in James. She says, you know, she sees that the pile of dirty dishes and she knows, you know, that would help her family be a blessing to them. And she has the, the time. She's, it wouldn't take long to sit down, wash them up. And so she then feels that she could not walk away in good conscience and not wash the dishes. It would be a sin for her to ignore that, that prompting of the Holy Spirit to do that good thing and walk away, which is great and wonderful for us. But I think that's a reflection of godly character. You know, when, when we see a need, some good that we can do, it behooves us to, to act like our God and to do that good thing. Uh, being, you know, acting like Jesus doesn't just mean avoiding the bad behavior. It actually means actively pursuing doing those good things that bless others. That's, that's what our Heavenly Father does. Um, and I think that's what David was doing. You know, he heard that the people of Keilah were in trouble, and, and he thought, you know, perhaps I could help. He, he almost felt an obligation to go and help them. And so he asked the Lord, should I go and, and rescue the people of Keilah by attacking the Philistines? And the Lord said, yes, go save Keilah. However, David's men were not quite so sure that this was such a good idea. It says in verse 3, But David's men said, We're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah to fight the whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again. And again the Lord replied, Go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. Now, of course, you can understand the concern of David's men. Yeah, after all, as far as we know, these men at this point were not trained for battle, right? They're just the ragtag group of, of, of misfits that have gathered around David because he's had compassion on them. You know, it was scary enough to be hiding from Saul and your own countrymen. You know, there's no way that they wanted to go and, and face their sworn enemy, the Philistines, and the whole army of them at that. Now, of course, David, he was used to, to facing giants and, and uh, leading men fearlessly into battle. But I, I think for these guys, this would be a whole new experience, uh, an experience that they weren't sure that they wanted to have. And so as they, they stated their objections to David, it, it seems again that David shows them compassion and understanding. You know, he doesn't just push the issue and say, look, we're going because I said we're going. But instead, he decides to inquire of the Lord again uh, a second time. And again, of course, the Lord says, go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. I expect that David's second inquiry was a lot more for his men's uh, sake than for his own. I, I kind of get the sense that David was ready. He's packing up his gear. He's ready to go. But the, his men needed a little more assurance. And so he asked the Lord a second time. The Lord said, go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So with this assurance from the Lord, uh, the men put their faith both in God, who told them to go, and also, to some extent, they put their faith in David, who was leading them. And uh, we read in verse 5. So David and his men went to Keilah. They slaughtered the Philistines and took all the livestock and rescued the people of Keilah. So just as God had promised, uh, God helped David and his men defeat the Philistines and rescue the town of Keilah. And they probably didn't realize it at this time, but this would be kind of the, the first step for this ragtag group of, of misfits to become David's mighty men, uh, as we've mentioned a few times before. This would be only the first of many victories that David would lead them to. 
uh, as their captain. But, of course, their victory celebration would be fairly short-lived because it wouldn't take long for Saul to hear uh, of what had happened and come hunting for David. And so the story continues uh, in verse 6 now. It says, Now, when Abathar, son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, he brought the ephod with him. Saul soon learned that David was at Keilah. Good, he exclaimed. We've got him now. God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself in a walled town. So Saul mobilized his entire army to march to Keilah and besiege David and his men. But David learned of Saul's plan and told Abathar the priest to bring the ephod and ask the Lord what he should do. So notice, first of all, that Saul fully believes that God is helping him and has set up David to be captured and killed, right? When he hears that David is in Keilah, he exclaims, uh, God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself inside a walled town. Now, certainly David is at Keilah at the Lord's direction, uh, but Saul has completely misinterpreted the situation and has jumped to an entirely wrong conclusion, Right? God has not brought David here to Keilah to be captured. God brought David here to, to rescue the people of Keilah. You know, that thing that Saul was supposed to do. But Saul is so wrapped up in his own interests uh, that, that, he, that, that he interprets every event and every circumstance as God leading him to wipe out David, right? Uh, his own bias completely clouds his judgment and, and distorts his understanding of the situation. Now, David, on the other hand, he doesn't jump to any conclusions, but instead he determines uh, to, to ask the Lord for direction. Uh, Abathar, the priest, had brought the ephod with him uh, when he escaped. Remember how Doeg was killing all of uh, the priest's families back in Nob, but uh, uh, Ahimelech's son, Abathar, escaped, and he brought the ephod with him. And, and of course, the ephod was uh, one of those things that they used, uh, the priest would use to help determine the will of the Lord. We don't know exactly how it all, all worked, but that's what they did. And so David told Abathar to bring the ephod, and they were going to ask the Lord what they should do. David will then make his decision, not based on his circumstances, but rather on the word of the Lord. And of course, that's another great reminder for us, right? If we want to make right decisions, if we want to come to a proper understanding of our circumstances, we have to see things from God's perspective. And we get that perspective from God's word. Right? We may not have a, an ephod to help us determine the, the Lord's will, but I think we have something even better. We have the written word of God. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. You know, if you want to know the truth about your situation, go to the word of God. See what God has to say about it, because every word of God proves true. You know, it's too easy uh, for our circumstances, our own biases to cloud our judgment and to distort our understanding. We have to go to the word of God to see the truth. And so that's exactly what David did. Uh, using the ephod somehow, uh, however they did that, David asked the Lord for direction and the Lord gave him uh, a very clear answer. It says uh, in verse 10, Then David prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, I have heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Keilah because I am here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I have heard? O Lord, God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, he will come. Again, David asked, will the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, yes, they will betray you. And I imagine this was a very difficult truth for David to hear. After all, David and his men had just risked their lives to rescue the people of Keilah from the Philistines. And now God tells him that the leaders of Keilah will betray him and turn him over to King Saul. 
What a, what a way to show your appreciation, right? Well, David wasn't going to stick around and wait for Saul to come. And so it says in verse 13, So David and his men, about 600 of them now, left Keilah and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go to Keilah after all. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. And I think that's about as far as we're going to go in this story today. But there's two little lessons that I just want to draw from these last verses. Uh, the first one's a little bit of theology, and then the second one's just a, a word of encouragement for you. So first of all, the little bit of theology. Uh, I think most of us have probably heard of God's omniscience, right? That that means that God knows everything. His his understanding is absolutely complete, right? He, he knows all things. He knows the past. He knows the future. He knows everything about you. He knows even what you're thinking at this moment. He is omniscient. Uh, but in these verses, we see an aspect of God's omniscience that maybe you haven't thought about before. Notice that God had said to David, yes, Saul will come, and yes, the leaders of Keilah will betray you to him. But that didn't actually happen, did it? Right? So, so, David left Keilah, and Saul never even ended up going there. So was, was God wrong in saying this to David? No. God was telling David what would have happened if David had decided to stay at Keilah. See, God not only knows what will happen, but he also knows what could happen. Right? God knows all the possibilities of, you know, if people had made different choices. Uh, different choices or were in different circumstances. He knows all the different possibilities of what could happen. And for me, anyways, I find that to be greatly encouraging. I find that to be, you know, a great boost of confidence in the wisdom of God. Because lots of times we wonder why God allows, you know, terrible things to happen in this world. Why, you know, why did, why did I lose my job? Or, or why did a loved one die? Or why does God allow these, you know, these terrible tragedies like, you know, 9-11 or school, school shootings or whatever it is, right? But when you realize that God knows all the possibilities of what may have happened if things were different, and he still chose to allow this to happen, well, he must have had a very good reason for allowing this to happen. You know, in God's infinite wisdom and through his infinite omniscience, God has determined that this way is the best way. Uh, Psalm 147, verse 5 reminds us, How great is our God! His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. You know, our understanding of our circumstances is so, so limited, right? We, we only see such a small, tiny part of the big picture. But God's understanding is complete, right? It's perfect. It's beyond our comprehension. And I guess that's all the more reason for us to look to God's word when we're trying to make sense of our world, right? If you're looking for answers, why wouldn't you go to the one who knows everything, his power is absolute. His understanding is beyond our comprehension. And that infinite God has given us a book full of everything that we need to know to, to navigate through this world. God's word is truly an incredible gift. You know, God, God must really love us a lot to give us an entire book, uh, just a, a glimpse of his infinite wisdom and his ultimate plan of, of how all history is to play out. And that, of course, reminds me of the second lesson that we pull out of these verses. Take a look at the last verse of our story. It says, Saul hunted David day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. Do you know what that means? It means that every single day, God was watching out for David. God was protecting him, keeping him safe. God used his, his omniscience and his absolute power to hold David safely in the palm of, a hand, palm of his hands, and Saul couldn't touch him. 
You know, and that's just another little encouragement for us, another example of how much God loves and cares for his people, right? Because the same God or the same love that God had for David is the same kind of love that God has for each one of us, right? I, I couldn't help but think of the, the passage in Romans 8 as I was going through all this. And, and I think I'll, I'll close with these verses. It says in uh, Romans 8, 31, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, what, a, what an incredible encouragement for us today. What a, a glorious truth to remember, you know, as we go through our difficult circumstances of life. You know, the, the infinite, omniscient God of the universe, he loves you like crazy. In fact, he loves you enough to die for you. And there's nothing that could ever happen that would separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a, what a wonderful God. And I just wonder this morning, do you know that God in a personal way? Have you invited that God, that, that infinite omniscient God to just take control of your own crazy, messed up world, and to give you purpose and direction? Have you invited him to be your king and to be your God? And if not, what is stopping you? You know, God's known everything about you since before he even created the world. And he loves you like crazy. And he wants you to go through life with him. And so I just encourage you this morning to get to know that God, to, to put your trust in him and to follow him and to learn to love him the way that he loves you. So let's pray together this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much again for this uh, little story uh, of David that's been recorded for us. Uh, we thank you for uh, the good example that we see in David in, in how he turns to you for direction and help and, and for your faithfulness that you show him time and time again. Uh, even next week as we read about Saul keeping chasing David, we see you just intervening and keeping David safe. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for David. Thank you for your incredible love for us. And I do pray that uh, each one of us here, we would come to know you in, in just a really real and personal way, that we would know that you love us more than we could even imagine. And you, you want to be with us and you want us to be with you, not only for this life, but for eternity. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.